Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We've got another great show lined up for you. Tony and I are going to be talking about essential tools. We've done a lot of projects on this show over the years, and the list of tools that we've used is tremendous. Absolutely. It's a gigantic list. So we've been compiling a list of the most important tools from... You know, the most important, even down to the smallest. So we kind of put those together. We wanted to share those with you because if you're going to be doing any sort of projects around your house uh, as a weekend warrior, you're probably going to need some of these. Maybe you have them, but maybe we'll give you a couple ideas of things that you'll need. I feel like you can be skilled and able to tackle a project and complete a project based on the tools that you have. And then if you had more tools or better tools or different tools, you could raise or lower the level of quality of the project. Right? I agree with that. So it's not like you have to have these tools to do this project, but maybe if you had some of these tools, you could do the project better. You'd be happier with the result. I know that a lot of projects that Corey and I take on right out of the blocks, I'm thinking, I'm picturing what it's going to look like when it's done. And my mental picture of what it's going to look like when it's done is different than Corey's mental picture of what it's going to look like when it's done. And when we are moving through the project and I'm saying, oh, I don't think we need to do that. You're saying, oh, we definitely need to do that. And in order to do that, we need this. And so my horizons are broadened. And then the project ends up being that much better than even I had anticipated it would be. Yeah. And honestly, it usually ends up looking like I think it should look like. Yeah. <laughs> Well, of I mean, course, because I defer to your uh, expertise. You are a qualified woodworker, and I learn from you regularly. I wouldn't say qualified. I would say, you know, above average, but <laughs> I would, you know, I wouldn't go as far to say expert. If you told somebody that you made a dining room table, and it is sitting in somebody's dining room right now, and everybody that sits at it says wow, what a beautiful, gorgeous table. You would have to be, in my opinion, a qualified woodworker to pull off that feat. Yeah. I mean, we, so we've made some good stuff. We've qualified. Done, we've done some good work. We, we have so many projects over the years that we've done together that have turned out just really good. Yeah. I mean, I would say that our work is not homeowner- you know, it's not your start out beginner homeowner type projects or quality. Uh, we're somewhere in the middle. You know, we, we can do really, really good stuff. But you know what, though, is different is that when we get to a position where we know we can't do a good job, we call on those professionals. Yeah. In their industries like sheetrock. Yeah. <laughs> for, for example. For example. Or, you know, those those things that are just very craftsman oriented that are. Uh, very difficult to master. I don't do them. Yeah, so. and in some cases, we come across um, something that needs to be done in order for this project to be done right, and we don't have the tool, and it's not a tool that you can just run out and rent or buy. 
So in some cases, you have to lean on somebody that does have that tool to perform that portion of the task True. for you, which we are also not too, too good to do. Yeah, I mean, I remodeled my kitchen, for instance. The amount of tools and different things that I used on that project was incredible. And like some of them, yeah, I didn't own them. I didn't own a tile saw. And I didn't necessarily want to go buy one because I didn't want to buy a cheap one. And I didn't want to use it, you know, I didn't want to rent one because if you rent one, then you're paying 50 bucks a day. And I knew because I was a weekend warrior that I was going to be doing this project on nights and weekends after work. For a while. For a while. It was, yeah, it was going to take me a couple weeks. Yeah, you'd be making trips back and forth to rent the tool or paying for it while you're not using it. Yeah, I mean, you'd be paying more than you would if you would have just went out and bought one. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I did lean on a couple friends that let me borrow some equipment and tools. Uh, that really helped me out a lot in that project. But I ended up using a really nice... Um, saw mm-hmm. a uh tile a saw. tile saw for a couple weeks a wet tile saw yeah wet saw yeah to cut tile with and you know what because i had that i was able to take my time and do the tile work right and it looks good it looks professional and now that it's grouted people would never know they look at it and say they think a professional did it yeah and that's kind of what i'm shooting for i i don't want to do a project myself if it's not going to look professional. I want someone not to be able to tell the difference. And if I can't do it professionally, I have a professional do it. Right. Yeah, that's that's it's good to know your limits obviously. Um but it's also good to test yourself and stretch yourself and in some cases maybe you there's a tool out there that you don't have. You'd love to have it because it would make it um easier for you to do projects like that. But do you run out and grab one right now before you know anything about it? Or do you first borrow one or rent one, get comfortable with it, understand what you like and don't like about it, and then go and make the investment and purchase that tool? That's a really good tip, honestly. Um, you know, there there's probably several tools that I don't own yet. And mostly it's because I haven't really needed them a lot over the years. And if I come across a project where I feel like it will be valuable to own one, then I will. I will spend the money and go out and get one. But like you said, you kind of got to do some research, maybe find out what you like, what you don't like about that particular brand or tool. The internet kind of makes that a little bit easier these days, I feel. Kind of just Google yeah. it. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm recalling a situation on a project that we were on, and you were saying, hey, we're, we really need this tool. I'm, I'm just going to say it. We need a joiner. A plate, yeah, plate joiner. In order to do this right, we need a joiner, and you don't have one. And you don't, we didn't know anybody that owned one that was a, a friend of ours. And we went through the whole process. You're like, let's check out the internet. Let's see if eBay's got one. Craigslist. Is there a place, a Craigslist that got one? <laughs> we literally went through that process and we looked at what do they cost? Um, what would the obligation be or the liability be if we decided we were going to go and buy one to do this project how long would it take all of those things we literally worked through that entire process before it's we kind decided of a funny story actually what we would actually do it is a funny story we should we should tell the whole story <laughs> yeah so we're we're right there we're in the shop we're working on this project we realized that in order to take the next step these pieces of wood need to be joined. They need to be edge joined. Well, let's tell the, the first of that story is we were building a farmhouse table. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in seeing this table, you can go to our YouTube channel. It's uh, Weekend Warriors 
or it's YouTube forward slash WW Home Show, or if you search WW Home Show in the search bar on YouTube, it'll pull up our channel. Uh, yeah, we were making a farmhouse table. This was something that I had never done in my life. This was something that Tony absolutely wanted in his house, and I didn't know how to do it. I mean, well, I did know how to do it, but I'd never done it. But you hadn't done it, right. Ever. And you were imagining that in order to reach the quality that we needed to reach, this was something that was going to be, have to be done. And I thought, surely we can do what we need to do with the table saw well, that we have. let's take a step back, because you wanted something that I didn't feel I could do. Right, and so... I thought we were going to make a farm. That set this in motion, and then we uh, we had to do what we had to do. So we're going to talk about that as soon as we come back from this break. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. If you haven't already, go check out our Facebook and YouTube channels. We're all over the internet now. If you can go to our website, it's www.homeshow.com, or you can go to par.com, that's P-A-R-R, click on the Weekend Warriors link. That'll take you over to our website. Uh, we're on Instagram. Everything is WW Home Show. Pinterest. Facebook. Uh, so go like us. Go follow us. Go check out all of our cool stuff we're putting online. Also, podcasts. Yes. If you aren't listening to this show on the radio, or if you are, you could be listening to it on a podcast. Our podcasts are on Spotify. Um, they're on Apple Podcasts. Yep, Apple Podcast. Also, iHeartRadio. Yeah, iHeartRadio. What's the other one? What is it? Google Play. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we got all that going on. Uh, podcasts real popular now. Uh, yeah. So being able to grab and listen when you want in your, uh, in your, whatever your situation is, that's uh, very convenient. Yeah. So we'd it's, love to join you on the next long drive. Yeah, you yeah. can go like our show. And you can look at all of the topics on each one of our shows and pick and choose which ones you want to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Probably the most the least popular one is when we talked about... Tony's house. Yeah. <laughs> I have none. But anyway, uh, so today on the show, we're talking about uh, workshop essentials. And we'll let's, we were kind of before the break talking about projects that we've done on this show in the past. And we were talking about your farmhouse table that we did. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested, we did a whole video series on that. You can go to YouTube and check that out. Uh, Tony came to me and said, I want to build a farmhouse table. I want, a, I want an eight foot farmhouse table. And I want big fat legs, and I want the you know the I want it really just rustic looking and long three long. foot by eight foot. Yeah, and I said, yeah, we can do that. Sure. So I had in my head two by twelve dug fur, you know, slapped together with some screws and made it make it look like something that would be in your backyard. Yeah, you know, big like a and farm beefy, beefy table. Mm -hmm. Oh no, oh no. <laughs> Tony said, well, I want the top to be black walnut. And I said, okay. I'm, my thought was we we're going to build this thing out of very inexpensive, rustic materials. So we ended up going to a store that sells black walnut called Gobi Hardwoods. I mean, it's like a mill. 
Yes, it is a mill. They take trees, they mill it up, and they put the raw, live-edge pieces of lumber stacked up in a, in a shelf in a rack. Right. So we had to go out there and physically hand-pick out black walnut that I've, nev- I've never done in my life. Yeah. It was exciting. <laughs> it was exciting. And uh, we picked out all the pieces that we thought we needed to build this thing. You buy it by the board foot. You don't go in there and say, hey, I need... Uh, Eight foot pieces of one by six. Right. They don't have such a thing. Right. No, yeah, you have to go in there and look at the piles and pick through them and find what you want and what will work. And everyone is uh, different. They have anomalies and they have uh, little voids and weird weird things about them that add character. And But you have to work with those things. You have to decide whether or not it's going to be structurally sound uh, when you're done. And so you're picking through these pieces and you're kind of, Saying, oh, I think this one will work. But here's the thing. It's a group. You had to get so many pieces in order to do the entire project. And you want them all to be similar. And uh, you have to take into consideration what portion of that board you're going to lose. Because it's a live edge. So you're going to have to come in a little ways, cut it off square, and uh, try to figure out what your board footage is going to be without buying a bunch of extra stuff and spending money that will eventually just end up in the scrap pile. Well, and... If there are anomalies and imperfections in the boards, and if you choose boards that have very few of those, the price goes up. Right, exactly. So the price per board foot goes up. So we were trying to find pieces that weren't necessarily going to break the bank, but yet pieces that we could deal with the imperfections and it was it was interesting. It was a challenging a little bit. We were standing there for a while before we even decided whether or not we were walking out of that store. With product. Yeah. I was worried. I know you I mean, were. You, you were, were going to spend a couple hundred dollars on black walnut and I was going to ruin it. Yeah. You were putting all of this faith in something that I have never done. Yeah. Well, I, my faith wasn't in the project. My faith was in the woodworker. And again, <laughs> you've never let me down. So I knew I was in good hands. Well, so that kind of brings us back around to the essential tools. You had said in the last segment that we needed a jointer. And essentially what a joiner is, is it takes a, an uneven surface and you run it through it over and over and over until you, it comes out on the other end, uh, a perfectly flat square surface, which is hard to do with any other tool. We tried it. I said, okay, the best I can do is to run it through with a straight edge and my circular saw to rip off one side of that live edge. And then we would run it through the table saw with that flat surface against the rip fence, and then we would rip it, flip it back over, rip it again, and it would be as square as we could get it right? without running it through a joiner. And now again, it's notable, these are pretty big pieces of wood. We started out with a, a w- an inch and a quarter probably by... Um, by 12 inches wide, by 10 or 12 feet long. So some of these boards were unwieldy, heavy, um, and not square on either edge f- yeah, at all. Edge. Or on either end, for that matter. Yeah, so There we, was not a square edge to pull from. Right, we, <laughs> we drew a line. We snapped a line with our uh, chalk line. We used a long straight edge, and we used a circular saw, and we cut it. Right, we, that we actually put the straight edge on there and tried to line it up with the grain pattern on the wood. While so, removing as much or as little. Right, while removing as little as possible, edge. right, so that we weren't uh, wasting material, of course. 
Yeah, so then there, we did it. We put it on there. We put it through the table saw. We had to cut about, what, six pieces? Yep. Six pieces to make the full tabletop. Turn it over, cut off an eighth, turn it over, cut off an eighth, turn it over, cut off an eighth. Yeah. And (laughs) if you've never put two pieces of lumber together, you know, you buy them from the store that are nominal, you know, one by sixes. Mm -hmm. They come out three quarters of an inch by five and a half inches wide, and they they have been run through a plate joiner. Right. So you put them together, and those surfaces are flat. Perfect. And they come together flat, and they look really nice. Well, when you don't do that, there's all kinds of imperfections yeah. on the sides. Yeah. Little gaps. And we put them together, and it was like as good as we could get it. And to me, it wasn't good enough. And I was happy with it. I was like, hey, it's a farm table. I think this is going to be great. And you were like, nah. We we need a we need a more professional tool. We really need to join these uh, in order for them to fit perfectly together and be exactly what it should be. So so we, then we went to started looking for joiners on uh, on Craigslist, yeah, on Craigslist and eBay, trying to see is it possible? Is there a one round? And getting an idea what the liability is, how much is it going to cost us, how long would it take to get all of those things. Honestly, for this project, it. It wasn't feasible to go out and buy one. Plus, they're huge. Yeah, they're you know they're a thousand dollars. Yeah, for a decent you know plate joiner that you can you know even a tabletop model is going to cost new four hundred dollars. So it just wasn't one of those tools that we needed right away. You know, going and doing research, there are a few other methods. I saw somebody do one with a router table where they offset their rip fence, and it actually worked pretty well. You can buy hand planers that work as as like that. Uh, it just wouldn't be as great. Sure, sure. So we were kind of exploring all of our options, standing around the garage. This was uh, in a November, right? Mm-hmm. It was kind of cold out. The door was open. Mm-hmm. And both of Tony and I's trucks were out front of my house. And crazy enough, divine intervention. Yep. Our neighbor, my neighbor... Who lives around the corner from me. Who's a customer of mine at par. And we've actually had on the radio show. Yes. He uh, he saw our trucks, stopped in, walked up, and said, what are you guys doing? <laughs> we explained the whole story to him, how we needed to get these things joined. And he said to us, oh, just take them over to my uh, my old work plates. Yeah. They're right in Newburgh. Drop them off. They'll do that for you in half an hour. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like you said, divine intervention. And that was, uh, of course, uh, Larry O'Halloran. Great guy. All right, we got to take another quick break. When we come back, more essential tools for your shop. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. We'll be right back. Show built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show built by Par Lumber. Thanks for staying with us. Today in the show, we're talking about essential tools. And we've been ca- talking about a couple projects on the show that we've done over the years. Uh, specifically, this last one, we were talking about our farmhouse table that we built. Uh, if you're interested in seeing the videos of that, that is on YouTube. So uh, you can go check that out. But we used a lot of tools. I kind of made a list of all the tools that we used on that project. Some of them I would say 
were completely necessary. We had to have those tools. And that was a unique project because we actually took live edge black walnut straight from the mill, squared it up, and built a tabletop out of it. Mm -hmm. We didn't go to the store and buy, you know, pre-milled net dimension lumber. It was, we had to do it. Right. You pay quite a bit more for lumber that's gone through that process already. We saved some money by getting an exotic kind of wood, uh, but that we had to do the finish on it. So Absolutely. Uh, But some of the big tools that we really used right off the bat, a table saw, a circular saw. Uh, We ended up using a jointer, uh, a plate jointer, an edge jointer that we didn't own, but we did end up using it. Uh, The other one that we used extensively was the planer. Right. That material came out at full four quarter. So it ranged between a full one inch thick and slightly thicker than that. So we had to really bring that down in thickness to a manageable size, and we had to make it uniform. So for that, we used a surface planer. And that's not a tool that everybody has on the shelf. Right. You know, that's one of the tools that I've had for a long time. I do a lot of woodworking projects, and I just happen to have one. So we did use that to, to you know, manage the thickness of that wood. Uh, what are some of the other tools? I know we used a chop saw and a circular saw a lot. Uh, can you think of anything else? Yeah, I did have down here router. Yeah, we wanted to, after we put the wood through the planer and, uh, of course, through the joiner, it has super sharp edges, and that wood is really hard and dense. Yes. Those sharp edges can cut you uh, without question. So we definitely, since this table is going to be um, people around it all the time and their arms are going to be resting on the edges, and uh, we really wanted those to be soft edge. So we took the router, we put a little, uh, not not, I don't think it was a roundover. It was like a little chamfer or something. We put a little eighth-inch chamfer on yeah. it yep. uh, and ran that router all the way around the outer edge of the table. And then, of course, over the top of that with um, with a, an orbital sander to just soften it up a little bit. I really was happy with the finished edge on the table after we finished it. Yeah, actually, you just reminded me. You said orbital sander, which is a, you know, a very useful tool. They make palm sanders in a lot of different ways. You can buy them square or round. Um, you you can, can get them with a little clamp so that you just cut an, an eight and a half by yeah. 11 sheet into four pieces and clamp it on there. Yeah, quarter sheet sander. Uh, and some of them just vibrate. They just vibrate right. you know, back and forth. Those do an okay job, better than hand sanding. But if you really want to sand it uniformly, and accurately, you'll want to use an orbital palm sander. Uh, it rotates, it vibrates, and it rotates the the sanding surface. So that way you get a very uniform finish. Some of these palm sanders that don't rotate like that, they will leave circular swirl marks in uh, the wood surface. Right. And they don't sand, you know, uniformly. So you'll have areas that are thinner and thicker. You know, so the the orbital palm sander is really useful for that. But for that project, we ended up edge joining all of those pieces of wood together for the top. And to do that, we had to, we used a Craig jig, a pocket hole jig to pre-drill holes from the ends. And we were able to screw those pieces together with glue. We glued all the seams and then we screwed them together with pocket hole jigs from both sides 
That was on all of the seams of the wood. Yeah, the option to that or the alternative to that would have been to drill and pin and use wood dowels or biscuits. Also, we could have used biscuits, yeah, a biscuit a joiner, joiner yep. uh, to put that together. But that was that's a lot of work. And uh, it wasn't something we were necessarily proficient at. And we had the Craig jig and we thought, you know what? We've never done this before, but I feel like this could be a really good solution uh, for this. So we just set right out to do it. And man, I'll tell you what, I was super happy with uh, with the result. Yeah, we probably drilled 50 Craig jig holes. Oh, or more. I mean, it was crazy. There's so many holes that we pre-drilled for that thing uh, and then glued it, screwed it together. Um, but before we screwed it, we actually used long uh, bar clamps. We had these really long bar clamps that we had to use at least three feet. I think we bought 42 inchers. Mm -hmm. And we glued all the, the seams, put it together in the tabletop, and then we clamped them all tight. And then we came back, we flipped it over, and put all of those pocket screws in to really draw everything together and hold it tight for the glue to cure. And then when that was done, we flipped the table back over, and it wasn't perfect. You know, the, the surfaces where the pieces of wood went together, some of them were off by... A 32nd. Yeah, 32nd of an inch at the most. But in looking at that tabletop, you could see it. Yeah. And you could, you could tell that it wasn't perfectly flat. So we took out... The belt sander. Yes, we did. That is a. Uh, that is a. That's an aggressive tool. An a very aggressive tool. We took out uh, some belts that were some heavier grit, so we could take off a lot of material at once. I think we had one twenty or one eighty, one eight hundred eighty grit. Yeah, and hit that table for. At least forty-five minutes. Oh man, it seemed like days. Bending of over that thing and sanding. And that sanding. thing, if you've never used a belt sander, as soon as you put it down on the surface that you're sanding, it just wants to run away from you. Right. That's its job. It's, right. It's just trying to go. Right. And you're just holding it in place, letting it sand and do its job. Yep. And that thing took material off that table so quickly. It really did, and that created. An enormous amount of very, very fine dust yes. that ended up on everything. But I'll tell you where it didn't end up. It didn't end up in our nose or in our mouth. Right. Because we used a respirator. Which I feel is a very essential tool in anybody's workshop. A, a, a dust respirator or a, a mask, a dust mask. I prefer the ones like Tony just said is a respirator with the actual canisters on the side. Especially if it, you're going to do a large project like we were. We were sanding for a long time. And uh, if you were just putting on a simple dust mask, I feel like it would get caked really quickly. And you maybe have be a difficult, you know, trying to breathe through that. But uh, we definitely wanted to be able to breathe easy. Uh, and and not have any of that stuff going inside my body. Yuck. Yeah, and we during that process we did have I do have air uh, dust collectors in my in the ceiling of my garage. Uh, we actually were operating the uh, shop vac. We have a shop vac running all the time, and we were we were holding it up. Yep, you know, trying to trying to absorb as much of that sawdust as possible because it created a ton. Yeah, it did. It absolutely did, but that was that was a big part of the project. That uh, is a very aggressive tool, and then we of course graduated from 180 grit to something a lot finer, and then of course 
then went from that sander to a smaller random orbit sander, yeah, random orbital with a, sander with a higher grit, and um, and then went back over it and over it and over it. And we spent a lot of time sanding and then running our hand over the top to feel it and then sanding some more. But uh, boy, it turned out really good. You know, I feel like even after it's all completely done, we could still go through and sand it a little bit more probably and uh, put some more poly on it. But you know what? Uh, you have to call a job complete at some point. Yeah, we were reserve- super happy with it. We did finally at one point say it's a farmhouse table. Right. <laughs> and the surface was, I mean, in my opinion, that surface was... Very high quality. Very. We did a great job on it. Agreed. Uh, but like you said, we could have kept sanding, but we stopped and said, you know, this is a farmhouse table. It is intended to be used Yep. Uh, by our family daily. So, And it's owned by somebody who can go back and refinish it again if it needs to be done. That's true. we got to take another quick break. When we come back, more essential tools. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Bar Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Thanks for staying with us. If you've never listened to our show, Tony and I today are talking about essential tools, but we've been in this industry for a long time. We're, we are Weekend Warriors And we come to you every week offering advice and information on how to be a weekend warrior. Tony and I have been working for the Par Lumber Company for a combined 50 50 years. Has it been that long? 50, 40, 50 years. And uh, we work with contractors all day. We get to ask advice. And we're kind of in a unique scenario. So we like to share that information with all of our listeners uh, make sure you go check out those podcasts. Uh, there's a lot of information on there. Yeah, uh, first and foremost, of course, we're homeowners. And as homeowners, uh, it's incumbent upon us to maintain uh, our home and our investment. And so that that's where it comes from need. And, of course, we're also fathers and husbands. And there's another need, right? Uh, so uh, an opportunity to build and fix and maintain uh, has led us to where we are. We just have a, a love for that sort of work and... Uh, and now we're sharing what we have with you all. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because 99% of all the projects that I've ever started and accomplished on my own, I'd never done before in my life. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I research them. I read about them. I ask friends. I have friends help me. Uh, I ask questions to professionals, contractors that I know. And that's how I do it. You yeah. know, I work through the process in, in a lot of times. I'm kind of a cheapskate when it comes to my projects. I want to do them as inexpensively as possible. And I I feel like if I can do something, then I don't want to pay somebody else to do it for me. But I am kind of a perfectionist, so I just want to take my time (laughs) and make sure that it's done right. Yep. So anyway, today on the show, we're talking about workshop essentials. And uh, we were covering a project that we'd worked on in the show before. Uh, We did a farmhouse table that turned out absolutely stunning. Uh, we built a base out of six by sixes and two by material. I think it was two by six. Yep. Uh, we milled those down. We cut them, sanded them, ran them through the planer, made them really nice and clean. Primed them, painted Primed them. Primed them, painted them. 
And then we built a top out of black walnut. And some of the, the really important tools that we use on our list here that we, that we made is a table saw, a circular saw, a jointer, a planer, chop saw, clamps. You can never have enough clamps. Uh, a router, a Craig jig or a pocket hole jig. Lots of screws. We, yeah. We used that Craig jig on every joint. So many different kinds of screws as yes. well. And glue. Wood glue. Uh, we use a cordless drill, an impact driver, a shop vac, an orbital sander. Uh, we used a speed square a lot for uh, making our right angle cuts. Yep. Uh, with a pencil, of course. How how many tools did we have uh, plugged in at any one given time? Two. I mean, most of the time we. My garage is tough. I don't have a ton of plugs, so I use an extension cord. We used an extension cord. You made a very cool extension cord, a heavy gauge. What is that, a a 10-gauge? Yeah, it's a 10-gauge extension cord. A heavy 10-gauge extension cord that actually has plugs um, about every four feet. Yeah. uh, On that, So you just stretch that thing across the shop, and you can plug your uh, tools into it as you go along. And I don't think it doesn't matter how many tools are plugged into it at one time. It really just comes down to how many tools are being operated at one time. Right. So you can have them all plugged in and have that thing plugged into the wall Operate those tools one at a time. You're good to go. Yeah, it's uh, it's very handy. The uh, you can't run something that's pulling a ton of amps through a wimpy extension cord. Right. That's that's one thing we should probably talk about that a little bit because if you think about power, electricity, like water flow, you know your your volts are the pressure. Right. The 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 pressure in the hose and the amps are the volume. And it's just the same thing if you have an extension cord. If you have a really small extension cord and you have a tool that uses a lot of amps, there's not enough volume of electricity to operate it. And it'll trip your circuit breaker. So you got to make sure that you have a really heavy duty gauge extension cord if you're running something like a table saw or a surface planer that's going to be, when you turn it on the motor, you know, a one-and-a-half horse or a two-horse motor, that when you kick that thing on, it's drawing a ton of power to get it started. Right. And if you got a little wimpy, you know, 16-gauge extension cord, you're going to run into some problems. Another sort of a very common problem that people will have with extension cords is I feel like uh, I the longer the extension cord is, the less power you have at the other end of it. Oh, absolutely. So if you're using a 100-foot extension cord, with a tool that requires, you know, more amps, uh, you know, it may not do what you need it to do. You may have to be using a, a bigger extension cord the longer you go. Yeah, no, you make a very good point. Yeah, they make 100-foot extension cords, uh, but by the time you get to the end of that 100-foot extension cord, you're probably not running a big air compressor off it or something sure. like that. I mean, you, anybody that has done work like that before, um, you know, don't be surprised because if you get it out there and you plug it in and you try to turn it on, it just doesn't. You can't. Yep. You can't do it. It'll yep. trip. Yep. So yeah, there was there was uh, definitely a lot of tools on that list that we use, and we've talked about a lot of them. Some of the things that were in the background that we didn't talk about, you know, some of the safety items. We had hearing protection. We had eye protection. We yes. did talk about the respirator that we wore. Um, you know, we had uh, we had a lot of these. Very simple tools that we use. We used a hot glue gun. What we used a hot glue gun because when when we went to finish the table, some of the 
uh, imperfections or anomalies that were in the natural wood actually were holes all the way through. They went all the way through from the top uh, through to the bottom. And so in order to, we bought a product um, called CA glue, cyanurate glue. Right. And it was black. It's tinted black. Yeah. And uh, so this is a product you put in there and, and then you use an activator to activate it and it sets up. Really, I mean, like immediately. Yeah, and this sets up hard. I mean, really hard. Yeah, it's almost like epoxy a little bit. You put it in there, you you squeeze this glue in there, and it's very liquidy. It's almost like the it's consistency like super of, glue kind of, of yeah. yeah, like super glue or alcohol. You kind of squirt it in there, and you spray it with this activator, and it starts smoking and bubbling, yeah. and, and it turns hard immediately. Yeah. You put another layer in, and you spray that glue on there, and it turns hard immediately. Well, when we first started putting that product in and we could see the voids, well, we didn't really know. Um, you, it's not like you would looked through the hole and saw the floor. Right. You know, it wasn't like a big gaping hole, uh, but they were long um, voids that were in, in the wood. And so we started to put that product in there and, and it seemed to just keep soaking it up and soaking it up and soaking it up. And I was thinking, man, that what is going on really here? taking a lot of product. <laughs> At some point we realized... That product was going right through and dripping onto, onto the, the floor. floor underneath. And we were like, oh, no, it's going all the way through. So then Corey came up with a great idea. We used a hot glue gun, uh, Gorilla Glue, and we turned that thing over and we glued up the bottom of all of those. So it couldn't drip through. Yep, all those imperfections to keep that product from going through. Then we attacked it again, realized that uh, this is what we needed to do to get it done. And then we ultimately got it all done, sanded off, pulled the glue, uh, the the hot glue from the bottom, and uh, it was a finished product. <laughs> it, uh, I'm, I surprised myself there. I didn't think that would work. I wasn't sure if the hot glue was going to react with the cyanurate, and it didn't. No. You just kind of set up nicely, and it created a backstop. Yeah, it was kind of a genius move, actually. We Thank didn't you. use, we used a lot of different kinds of screws, pocket screws, of course, for putting all the boards together side by side, and uh, and we used some long like timber lock screws that made by fasten master mm -hmm. uh, we use some long timber lock screws to put the frame together with the legs i mean it's a very big beefy frame six by six legs uh two by six uh rails and uh and we did not spare we used big old monster screws those those uh timber locks from fasten master they just go right in there like butter just zink right in there and they are strong stronger than a standard lag screw of the same size. Yeah, they're strong as a half inch lag, and they're only, you know, three sixteenths. Yeah, or yeah, three eighths in diameter. Yeah, very sleek. Uh, a tight little small head, which kind of countersinks there a little bit and makes it really nice. Yeah, uh, one of the other things that probably we didn't necessarily use as a tool, uh, but I would call it a shop essential, are shop lights. Mm-hmm. It is imperative, especially in a project like that, where we were sanding, and then we it ultimately we finished it with wipe-on polyurethane. We put several coats of that thing on there, and it was very important to have good lighting from all <laughs> different angles yeah. to make sure that you uh, see all those imperfections and and be able to to deal with them and work with them at that time you can even say the quality of the finish on the product that you're finishing is only going to be as good as you can see right if you can't light. see those imperfections and you won't know that they need to be fixed then you get it into the house you're like oh ultimately in tony's dining room lots of light we have to take another quick break when we come back more essential tools you're listening to tony core your weekend warriors don't go away
listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for staying with us on the show today. We're talking about essential tools for your shop. And uh, we're kind of going over some projects that Tony and I have worked on over the years and kind of going over the tools that we used in those projects and what we feel is really essential to getting those projects done. Uh, We covered a farmhouse table. Man, we used so many tools on that project that it covered the entire first half of our show. Right, yeah. Uh, But let's move on to a couple other projects, that uh, one that we've done and then one in general. Let's go to the one in general because people do a lot of demo. Oh, yeah. Demo's it's, the it's best. Really, it's common. A lot a of lot people of... do demo and then never build anything after. <laughs> <laughs> that is a tip that we've offered on this show several times. We say, you know, don't do the demo until you're ready to do the building. Yeah, a lot of times uh, that's the people do demo and then hire out the building. And it, maybe it wasn't even intended to go that way. Yeah. I, I am absolutely guilty of that exact thing. Uh, the thing is that you've just, dis- if you've decided you're going to take on a project, the very first thing you have to do is demo. That doesn't cost anything most of the time. Right. And so it's very easy to say, I'm starting the project now and I'm starting the demo now. And you just get after it. And I'll tell you what, there is no lack of zeal when it comes to demo day. Oh, you just want to get it done. You want to get it all done. You will clean and you will stack and you will throw things away and it will be great. And then you have to start shelling out money. You have to order stuff. You have to wait. You have to know. You have to work. And uh, that's when the that's when the real project begins after demo. Absolutely. Too many people get it, get all the demo done, are looking at this disastrous pile of of garbage, and they say, man, what do, what do I do with all this stuff? Yeah, what am I going to do? Oh, I didn't budget for a garbage a dumpster. can. <laughs> <laughs> or it's going to take me six weeks to get that tile that I really want. Yeah. So anyway, besides that. There is a lot of tools that you tons. need to use. You had just mentioned one, a garbage can. Yeah, sure. There is nothing easier than after you would de- do a demo project, especially with sheetrock, either there's... Two methods, in my opinion, to taking down sheetrock. You either try to get it down in as big of pieces as possible and then carry those down as much as as big as you can carry to get them out. Or I've seen people, and I've used this method for areas that are aren't easy to get big pieces in and out of. You take a garbage can, like a 50-gallon barrel, you know, garbage can, and uh, break the sheetrock up into smaller pieces. Small as, as as can be, shovel it into the garbage can, and then take the garbage can down to the dumpster, or take it down outside or in the garage and fill up husky bags or six mil garbage bags. That is really an e- the easiest method for getting rid of stuff. Yeah, I mean, in I, my opinion, those two you're saying those two are the easiest ways. Obviously, if if you have the room to get something out of the house or wherever you're working on this project. 
If you have the room to get something out that's large, that's the easiest way. Carry that full sheet as much as you can out, throw it in the back of the truck or in the back in the dumpster and haul it away. It's easy in, easy out. That's mm-hmm. the fastest way. Breaking it up into smaller pieces is takes longer, but you can manage it better, especially if you don't have a lot of room to move things well, around. Well, like for instance, if you're working on, say, a bathroom remodel in the back corner of your house, and the only way to get material in and out of there is through the finished space. Yeah, through your bedroom, down the hall, through the living room, through the kitchen, out into the garage. You don't really want to carry big pieces of trash or jagged two by fours with nails sticking out of them through the house. You just need to be causing a bigger mess. Budget for a new window and then just throw it out the window. (laughs) Just chuck it out. Just break, take the whole window out and chuck it all out the window. Uh, I'll tell you what, a lot of people don't even consider those things. They just grab the sluggo and get after it. What is a sluggo? A sledgehammer. They just, that's the number one demo tool. Grab, if you watch HGTV, the very beginning of the show is always demo, and the very first tool they use is a sledgehammer. They hand the sledgehammer to the homeowner. A.K.A. Sluggo. Sluggo. That's right. And so the sledgehammer is uh, is a tool that you will use for demo and also for construction. Um, a sledgehammer is a is a invaluable tool, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, there's lots of different sizes. I always say be careful. You know, don't I, I don't like to use these big sledgehammers. Uh, especially when you're dealing with older construction, because the thing is, is if you, if you're trying to say remove sheetrock, and you hit that thing, it might break something on the other side, or you might break a window that's in the same wall that's down the ways because of the amount of force that you're hitting that wall with. I mean, sledgehammers can be tough. For projects like that, I mean, if you're taking out an entire wall, uh, that's probably a good choice. Sounds like you're trying to take the, It sounds like you're trying to take the fun out of demo. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> I've gotten, I have <laughs> used large hammers like that for smaller projects because you think it's fun. Oh yeah, and then you swing and you miss and you hit yourself in the shin, or you hit something that you didn't want to hit. <laughs> yeah. And you're you're cracking sheetrock in the other side of the house. Oh because yeah, you're shaking the whole house. Yeah, it's uh you know, it happens. Sometimes demo you need to, to be a little more delicate and use tools. For instance, a sawzall. Yes, a sawzall or a reciprocating saw is a handheld saw. You can buy them now in uh, cordless. You can buy them corded. Uh, the cordless ones didn't used to have the power, but they do now. I mean, the Makita cordless, you know, 18-volt reciprocating reciprocating saw saw is a beast. Mm -hmm. And you can buy tons of different blades for it, depending on what you're cutting through, Uh, especially if you're cutting through wood and nails and steel. You can buy a blade for that. These demo blades are very thick. Unbelievable. Heavy duty. You can cut through almost anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I always... I like to use my sawzall and cut things. Again, I like to break them down into smaller pieces, more manageable pieces. And you have more small pieces, you know, you always oh, got to take out more bundles. But if you have your garbage can to load them into, it does make short work of it and cleaner. Yeah. Speaking of cleaner, you're definitely going to be pulling nails. You're going to be pulling nails and removing screws. And uh, so a pry bar for one, for sure, is definitely something you're going to need. A cat's paw, maybe. Um, or a cat's and paw. maybe even a larger uh, pry bar. That's a good tool. It's a it's a very unique tool. 
It's called a cat's paw because it kind of looks like a cat's paw. Yeah, it's got these two little curved teeth on it. Yeah. It's like a pry bar. Yeah. Uh, but it's designed so that you can put it on, uh, kind of drive it in next to a nail that's driven hard into wood. Yep. Maybe countersunk a little bit. Hit it with your hammer and it will dig in under that nail head and then you can pry it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very good tool and, and used in demo and construction as well. Uh, all the time. Very common. I'll tell you what, another very common tool that we use all the time, but specifically for demo, you want to make sure you get one that is very strong, a box knife. Yes. I mean, they make box knives that are really easy to remove and replace the blade. You know, they make them that are lightweight. They're making them a lot of things, but they also make them heavy duty for demo. We got to take a quick break. We come back more essential tools. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. We'll be right back. Show built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. If you haven't already, go check out our Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest channels. We're all over the internet now. You can go to www.homeshow.com. Uh, you can also check out our podcasts. Uh, we've got them uploaded to YouTube. It's YouTube forward slash WW Home Show. We're recording this one right now. That'll be uh, broadcasting on YouTube. And we're also on Spotify, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Yes, all of those places. So you can go download, listen to our shows. Uh, we would love it if you commented. If you want to send us an email or questions, we'd love to have those. Just go to WW Home Show, and there's a submission button on there. You can also go to par.com, P-A-R-R.com, click on the Weekend Warriors link, and it will take you to our website and all of our information. We love to hear from our listeners, of course. Yes, so today we're talking about essential tools uh, for your workshop. It's, and It seems unassuming that a box knife would be an essential tool. Of course it is. Everybody in the world probably has a box knife, but not every box knife is cut out for demo, which is the project that we're talking about specifically here. They make very heavy-duty box knives that you can really get behind it, put a lot of weight on that, and cut through super heavy, thick stuff uh, without it, um, you know, the blade pushing through the back of the uh, case. Yeah, that you can buy these really inexpensive, cheap you know, uh, kind of foldable. Some of those foldable ones are really inexpensive and kind of flimsy. Uh, I don't like using those for demo or cutting uh, sheetrock, for instance. You don't want that blade to move. And some of those ones that you kind of snap in the blade, they're great for cutting boxes. Mm -hmm. But cutting sheetrock, you're putting so much force on it that those blades can come out. Carpet. And be dangerous. Yeah, right. carpet is another one. Uh, you want to use a fixed blade, something that really screws it in there tight. So buy a good, Stanley makes a really good, you know, utility knife. Some of those even, uh, we've ran into this before, some of the retractable ones, uh, when you're really putting a lot of effort and force on those blades, some of the, even the retractable ones, uh, can that blade can pull out. And uh, 
Not good. You know, we talked earlier about a respirator, which is great for construction or building something. It's also great, of course, for demo because you're going to be cutting stuff, and especially demo, because you don't know a lot of times what type of materials were used in the in the construction that you're taking down. There's obviously things like lead in paint and things that we worry about inhaling, and you don't want to do that. Respirator is a good idea. Here's another one, Corey, that a lot of people would think, oh, it's silly. I'm not going to do that. A hard hat. Hard hats are very inexpensive. And easy on, easy off. There's no reason why you wouldn't, especially if you're working overhead. You know, in a in a kitchen remodel, for example, you're pulling down cabinets or soffit maybe that's up above your head. Uh, it's a good idea to have a hard hat on your head. How many times have you taken a shot to the noggin yeah. during demo? Yeah. Too many. And if one of those shots to the noggin had a nail in it, you'd be in the hospital. Yeah. I'll tell you what, a, a hard hat is very inexpensive. It's a very safe bet, something you certainly should use anytime you're demolishing something. I have actually made very good use of a hard hat before. I've had something come and hit me, and it's the, my hard hat saved me from getting a puncture. So it's a yeah, it's definitely not something to laugh at, no. especially when you're doing demo. Safety glasses, obviously, ear protection. Uh, we didn't mention this, but we have you know we always use ear protection. We try to always use uh, safety glasses when we're cutting things. It's just smart. You yeah, know, you only have two pair, you know, two eyes and two ears and ten fingers. Right, and you lose one of those, and you're <laughs> you're down by one, you're boy. Ten, you only got nine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here's another one. Speaking of that, uh, protecting your body, right? Gloves. A lot of times we don't wear gloves while we're building. Or constructing. Well, there's a reason. Because you need to be able to, a lot of times, feel the material that you're working with and be very careful. Also, when you're using power tools to build something, uh, you know, loose-fitting gloves are sometimes can get caught on sharp edges and that can cause your hand or that, you know, to be pulled into something that, that you don't want to be the case. So you, uh, you want to be very careful about wearing uh, protective gloves when you're building, but when you're demoing, Definitely, I feel like you should have on some gloves that protect your skin and your fingers, your phalanges, and your hands. Yeah, from cuts and abrasions. Yeah, the uh, I always like to wear heavier gloves when I'm doing demo work. But yeah, using power tools, I'm going to take those gloves off. It will not protect your finger, finger from being hit by a hammer, um, but <laughs> that you're on your own there. you got to just be careful not to hit your finger with a hammer. Uh, another thing that I've done, and that's not any fun. Uh, one of the other things we kind of mentioned that we used before is shop lights, portable shop lights or headlamps. When you're doing demo in a room, you want to make sure that, A, if you're demoing anywhere where it's around plumbing, you'll want to turn off the water. Right. You never know what's behind a wall until you've demoed it out and looked. Same thing goes for electricity. You don't want to start hammering and cutting into a wall that could potentially have electricity in it. I've done it. Not good. I've cut into a wall right through a power line, and sparks are flying. It's happened to me, and it was very stupid, and I've learned my lesson. I don't do that anymore. I cut off the power, and but what happens is it's dark. So you have to have some sort of light so you can see what you're doing, and having a good battery-powered uh Shop light or having an extension cord run from the other side of the house where you know the power you know, doesn't run into this portion of the house and set up lights 
so you can see. Yeah, rechargeable LED shop lights are are very popular and common, easy to get, not terribly expensive. I've got a couple of really nice ones, and uh, because they're LED, they they last on a charge for a long time. Uh, you just got to make sure you keep them charged, and uh, they'll work good for you. Yeah, a couple other big things that you might not think of would be uh, a multi-tool or like a fine tool that uses... Um, Vibration, oscillation, oscillating. It's an oscillating tool. You put, you know, specific blades or different things depending on what you're using or what you're cutting. Uh, like again, sometimes demo can be delicate, mm -hmm. and you don't want to, you know, if you're trying to save money, you don't want to destroy or, you know, demolish things that you could potentially reuse. Especially if you're removing a frame or something from a wall that's been caulked. Right. If you just remove the fasteners and pull that frame out, the caulk is going to peel back the paint on the finished whatever that that was attached to. You want to make sure that you get in there and separate all that stuff. A, a fine tool is a great way to separate caulk from uh, from a product that it's been caulked to and uh, save that paint line so that you don't have to repaint. Yeah, that's uh, I use my multi tool all the time when we're removing anything with caulking. I have a blade that's like a flat, sharp blade that you put on there, and it cuts through caulking like butter. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Another couple uh, items might be an extension cord. I think we mentioned that already. Yeah. A shovel. I have a large, it almost looks like a snow shovel, uh, but it's it's wide. It's for picking up mostly debris. Yeah, yard debris, but it works really, really well in demo applications and having a nice broom. Yep. A stiff bristled push broom to uh, to get all that picked up, make short work of it. Yeah, and here's something else, a hammer, just a regular hammer, because at some point you start out really responsible. You're pulling every nail, you're putting the nails in a little bucket or something, you're being really careful, but as time wears on and you get further into the project, you end up pulling things out that have nails, and then you don't take the time to pull them out. You say, I'll just throw it in this pile over here and pull those nails out later. Well, here's the thing. Don't do that. At the very least, grab a hammer, bend it over. You can pull it out later after it's bent over, but bend it over. You don't want those points sticking out. Even if you have a designated pile for lumber with nails, you still need to bend them over. Take have, that five seconds and bend it over. Have you ever stepped on a nail? I have too many times. Oh, I never have. It's, it's, not, it's not good. It's because right out of the blocks, when was my last tetanus shot? That's the first thing you say. <laughs> I do not want to go get another tetanus shot. We're going to take another quick break here in just a second. So uh, stick around here. We're going to talk about more essential tools as soon as we get back. You're listening to Tony and Corey, Your Week in Worse. Don't go away. Listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Thanks for staying with us today. In the show, we're talking about essential tools around the shop. We've got. Uh, a lot of projects that we've done over the years, and we've pulled out a couple of those projects and talked about them. Uh, the, you know, the farmhouse table in the first half of the whole show, I mean, we use so many tools on that. 
it was a testament to what kind of project it really was. Yeah, absolutely. Took so much time uh, that I feel like it's a that's a it's not a beginner project. No, I'm super proud of how it turned out. We did a really good job and uh, we stayed focused on it. We didn't compromise, which uh, I loved. I tried. You wouldn't let me. Um, but we we if we didn't have the tool, we found the tool, or we took it to somebody who had the tool, and uh, we got the project done. Turned out really good. Yeah, that was uh, that it, was a tough one. Yeah, uh, you know another one of the projects that we've done over on this show is we built cornhole boards. Yeah, what a great that was project. a really fun project indeed. Uh, let's talk about some of the things that we used on that that I feel like are essential, like a workbench. Oh yeah, you had to, we couldn't do it without a workbench. We'd have been building them on the floor. Yeah, that would have been terrible. And we and honestly, even it's even notable that we built the workbench that we used to build the cornhole boards. Uh, we built a really cool um, mobile collapsible workbench and uh, and actually coming up very soon there will be another video or a series of videos on a another workbench yeah. that we're going to be doing a, a more um, versatile, something that's not collapsible. Yes. Uh, you know, and for the collapsible, the mobile collapsible, and we actually used sawhorses, which I feel are also essential for any workshop. For sure. If you need a temporary workbench, sawhorses are amazing. And Tony and I recommend using Trojan sawhorses. They're super duper strong. They're powder-coated, blue, they're amazing. They hold up thousands and thousands of pounds, so they're good for any application. Uh, you can pick those up at any par lumber. Uh, Trojan workhorses, they're great. Uh, but on top of that, what else? We we actually used a lot, a hole saw. That was one of the tools that kind of was unique to that project. Yeah, and, it, and here's the, th we talked about this before. The type of tools that you have and the type of tools that you use a lot of times will... Um, will show up in the result or the outcome of right. the thing. We could have used a jigsaw. We could have used a jigsaw to cut the big hole that the bean bag or corn bag goes into, right? Um, but it, uh, you don't you're not necessarily going to get a really good cut, and then you'll have to sand a little bit longer in order to clean it up, and then you know maybe it's not a perfect round hole, and maybe it's not exactly the same on each board. So you came up with an idea to use a. We needed a six-inch hole. You came up with an idea to use a six-inch hole saw, and as unwieldy as it was hooked up to that drill, we got four hands on it, and uh, and we set that thing in motion. And when we were done, we had two absolutely perfect, identical six-inch holes, and that was... I was really glad that we went that way. It was difficult, but I'm glad we went that way. Yeah, what we actually did was, so cornhole boards, if you don't know, they're two foot by four foot. And so what we did is we actually clamped both boards together face to face. And we use for that project MDO plywood, medium density overlay. And it's a really nice exterior grade plywood with a thick paper face on the, on the good side. They make it one side and two side. For that application, you would only need one side. So you take the two faces, you put them together, clamp them, measure accurately. So we used a tape measure, of course, uh, made our mark. And yeah, we drilled both holes at the exact same time. And for that, I used a cordless drill. I used a Makita or a, I don't remember what I used, but it was a cordless drill. And I put it on uh, slow. There's Most drills have settings. 
one and two. One is a slow, high torque, or low, I guess it's low torque uh, drill setting. And then there's a, a two, which is a high speed, high torque, you know, rip the drill out of your hands if you catch anything. Right. Well, that saw is so big, that six inch diameter hole saw is so big. I have a, a handle that went onto the side of the drill that I was able to hold it on to it. And I put it on slow because as it cut that hole, it was nice and slow and didn't want to tear out of my hands. Right. I've used before a corded drill to cut those, and they're high speed, high torque. Variable speed trigger, so it's hard to control. Yeah, and I've almost broken my wrists before, so... That was you want to go slow, nice and slow. Yeah, uh, the bigger the hole saw, and I honestly think a six is the biggest I've ever seen. The biggest, the bigger the hole saw, the harder it is to control when you're cutting a big hole like that. It just wants to catch in so many different places. But once you get a good groove, you've gone slow and cut a little groove in it. Once you get in the groove, as long as you don't move that thing back and forth too much, it uh, it sort of cuts evenly. And once it gets down in there, it's good to go. Yeah, uh, we also use the router. On that project, we wanted to round over all of the edges to make them nice and uh, smooth, not sharp. Uh, I like using that on my when I build cornhole boards. Yeah, we used a uh, we used a chalk line and uh, snapped on the plywood when we cut it into the pieces that we needed, and uh, we used a level, of course. Um, we used, I guess, we used screws to attach the thing, mm-hmm. uh, the frame to the top, and some glue. Uh, that that project was um, that project was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed doing it. Me too. You know, I'll tell you one other thing that we could have used but didn't. Instead, we used the hole saw. Uh, is a jigsaw. A jigsaw is a, a, t- a handle. It has the handle on top, and the blade oscillates or it reciprocates on the other side. So we could have drilled it with a pre-drill put the jigsaw blade in, and then cut the circle out uh, using a template. I've done that before. It just doesn't work as well. A jigsaw is is fantastic for many applications, but I feel like cutting a perfect circle is really difficult to do. It's so true. With a jigsaw. Yeah, e- even if you use a compass to make the mark a perfect circle with a compass, so the jigsaw just wants to go back and forth so much uh, that even after you get it cut you end up having to spend a lot of time with the sander just trying to straighten it up. Yeah, to make it look good. Right. But, uh, yeah, that was a fun project. If you want to check that out, we also have a video on YouTube about that. Yeah, that was a good one. So let's go through our list. We've got a big list of other essential tools for the workshop. Uh, Here's a big one that we haven't really talked about yet, an air compressor. Oh, yeah. Well, you have to have an air compressor if you're going to have an air tool. And I'd say we use air tools for so much. You know, recently I built a little shelf for my daughter, uh, a jewelry shelf that hangs on the wall, actually. It's got a dowel, uh, a couple of dowels that go back and forth from side to side and some cup hooks that hang from the bottom so she can put rings and and earrings and necklaces on it. And uh, the wood that I put it together with was so small, I used one by two. I really didn't want to try to pre-drill and screw that together, so I just went after it with a brad nailer, just a, a very small gauge brad nailer, and uh, plugging that into the compressor to to uh, shoot those little brads in there was so much easier, and uh, I, I used that tool for literally 
so many projects. Yeah, having a, uh, there's a lot of different nail guns. A brad nail is only one of them. A brad nail, they also make a smaller gauge nail called a micro pinner. Yeah. Uh, you can also buy a, a finish nailer. A finish nail is slightly larger diameter than a brad, uh, all the way up to framing, a coil nailer. You would use a coil nailer for fencing or roofing or siding. siding. Yep. It's very popular and very versatile to use that for that application. A coil holds a lot of nails. Uh, roofers love them. Siders love them. Uh, also, a stapler. I actually recently bought a stapler, and that we've used it on a few projects, and I love it. thing is fantastic. Yeah, they've got quarter-inch crown staples for sort of finished projects. They've got a half-inch crown staple that you could use for um, fencing, actually, and, and other types of projects. And, of course, they have a roofing staple with one-inch crown. And so whether you're using nails or staples, um, having an air fastener is definitely is, is definitely an essential tool for yeah. my shop. I've got a few tips about that, too, but we got to take a quick break. All right. We'll be right back. You'll listen to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're talking about work, shop, essentials. Let's kind of recap a little bit because there's a lot of tools on this list that are are just essential. We've built some, some big projects over the years, and a lot of these just keep coming up over and over and over. And the big one, probably the biggest one in my shop that I use all the time, is my table saw. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different types of of table saws out there. I have kind of a hybrid saw. It's got a cast iron top. It's nice and heavy duty. It sits on casters so I can move it around. Uh, But you can also buy, you know, a cabinet saw, a full-on cabinet saw that you really wouldn't move. That's intended to be put in place. They weigh a lot. Uh, Right up to a job site saw. And that, that is probably one of the most versatile tools. I use it all the time. Uh, a circular saw. A pl- I use my planer all the time. I use my chop saw all the time. Uh, what other what tools can you think of from our list that we've talked about today that would be the most essential? Well, these are all big big tools you're talking about. Big saws and very important things. There are so many tools that are essential that for a homeowner even uh, that we we aren't talking about. Here's uh, here's just a few. For example, how about um, a stud finder. I mean, oh, yeah, how often are we in the house? We're looking to hang something up. We're looking for a stud. Uh, a stud finder is an essential tool. Um, an electrical current detector. It's just like a little pin. You put it into an outlet, and it will tell you whether or not that outlet is hot. This is an essential tool. You need. You can't see electricity. You need to be able to test something like that. Having it with you will keep you from making a decision that you will regret. Right? I've been there. I know it. And it's just as simple as having it. It probably costs $5. Yeah, they're pretty inexpensive. But if you don't have it, then you compromise safety, and it's just not the way to go. That is definitely, for me, an essential tool. Yeah, you know, you make a good point because, honestly, safety-type things are probably the highest 
on the list that probably get thought about last, you know, after you've shocked yourself, <laughs> you know, after you've, you know, cut your finger or after you've gotten sawdust in your eyes or after, after your ears deaf. are <laughs> ringing from <laughs> operating something too long, yeah. you know, ear protection, eye protection, uh, you know, respirator, your lungs. Mm -hmm. You know, I know when I was young, I used to work out in my garage, sanding away for hours and hours and hours. I never used any sort of safety, personal protective equipment. Well, yeah, in, in respirator. And now I can't sand on anything for more than a minute without dying. I, I have to have my respirator if I'm using it, doing any sort of dust anything right. in my shop. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a plus or, or a positive. I mean, you have to have that stuff. And I recommend getting it earlier than later because you don't want to, uh, you don't want something bad to happen. Yeah. You don't want to compromise your health because of a project that you're working on. I do really quickly want to talk about, I just had mentioned table saws and this just came up because you were talking about safety. There's a company based in Oregon called Saw Stop. Saw Stop. We've actually had them on our show before. Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing product. It's very unique. If you're safety-minded and you want to buy a high-quality table saw, they make a product, it's literally just what it is, a saw stop that detects human, the electrical current in your body. Mm -hmm. And when you get anywhere near the blade... It automatically, with some portion of your yeah, body, with yeah. any portion of your body, it automatically stops the blade and drops it below the surface of your work surface immediately. Right, like in nanoseconds, it's just bam, grabs it, drops it down. Right. So your chances of cutting something off are zero. Are almost. Zero. I mean, literally zero. Yeah. It's uh, pretty incredible. I'd highly recommend looking into that. Uh, we we watched some videos on that not too long ago, and our super cool tool. Producer buddy was shocked. Yeah, very cool tool. Uh, it's uh, it's. I mean, I think it's not necessarily for everybody's situation, but uh, it certainly will save a lot of phalanges. <laughs> phalanges. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the tools right before the break, we were talking about an air compressor. An air compressor is. I use mine. Nonstop, and I actually have a thirty-gallon. It's an upright. It sits on you know up tall. It's not really you don't really move it around. Uh, there are lots of different types of air compressors you can buy. Small pancake style, very small. One thing to keep in mind is some of those smaller air compressors won't have enough air to pressure. operate air pressure to operate bigger power tools like. A framing nailer. A right. framing nailer uses a big volume of air to drive that nail. So you might be able to pump it up and get, you know, 10, 15 nails out of it, uh, but not in rapid succession. Right. You know, you drop two, three, four, five, six nails, and by that seventh or eighth one, your PSI in your tank drops and significantly. And leaves your nail uh, shining. Yeah, and it's, and it's running. It's constantly running, and then you're waiting and waiting and waiting and then yep. shooting another nail and then waiting. So the more volume that you can put, you know, th that's what you need to run those bigger tools. Something like a, a micro pinner or a brad nailer or a finish nailer, no problem. You can run those off of those small, you know, one-gallon pancake air compressors. They work great. I actually have one uh, that I take, you know, to the other side of the house when I need it. Uh, but just keep that in mind if you're – think about what you're doing. 
Yeah. Consider what projects you're going to be working on, like painting a car. You can't paint a car with a pancake compressor. Air compressor. There's just yeah. not enough volume. Yeah. Uh, it, it goes without saying, the larger the compressor you buy, the more money you're going to spend. Obviously, if you have a small tool that you want to be able to use, uh, very mobile, uh, a small compressor is inexpensive and uh, easy to use, easy to carry around, but it just won't do everything you want to do. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about this, but I wanted to throw out a tip. Uh, if you do get an air compressor, uh, small or large, get a long hose. You can get these hoses for 30 to 50 bucks, depending on the length, but I mean, they make them upwards of 100 feet. I would recommend getting at least a 50-footer. There's nothing worse than having to drag, even if you have a pancake, air compressor, a small, lightweight, there's still 30 pounds, 40 pounds, and then you're dragging that thing around because you only have a 10-foot hose? Right. I mean, I like to, if I'm working on it, I like to put my air compressor outside, right outside the door or another room and close the door. That way it's not running and loud in your ears. And I do want to caution, there are two types of air compressor fittings. There's automotive and industrial. Take a look at your tools and see what you have. Automotive, you can tell the difference because at the top of the air compressor male nipple, there's uh, a sh either it's sh kind of sharp. It's like a flat band yeah. or a raised band. Yeah, exactly. Raised band is industrial. Flat band is automotive. Right. And you can tell when you look at the two, it's pretty obvious. Right. The automotives are really flat, you know, really uh, flat to the low surface, profile. Low profile. Mm -hmm. Industrial really pops out. And the fittings are all different. Mm -hmm. So if you get an automotive uh, fitting, it will not go on to an industrial uh, connection. If Yeah. But what you can do, versa. if you can get the female coupler, a lot of times they will have a universal and the universal will work with either of the two types of males, you'll pay more money for that, like five times more, but um, it, it can make it easier if you have them both ways on different tools. That is a great point, because that's one thing that I did a long time ago. Because every time you buy a new nail gun, I feel like they have different. Yeah, they come you know, with, that yep. one. That one uses auto, that one uses industrial. So, yeah, those universal couplers are like, yeah, they're like 20 bucks, mm -hmm. but well worth it. Yeah. They, they push on, they snap, and you can just... You know, use it on anything. Here's what we haven't talked about. We talked about a lot of tools. We talked about essential tools. We didn't talk a lot about where you put those tools or how you carry those tools. Good point. I'll tell you what, an essential tool is a good set of bags or maybe a set of pouches, maybe bucket pockets or a toolbox, maybe one that was handed down from your dad. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, but toolbox, tool storage is an essential tool as well. You're absolutely right. Having somewhere to keep them organized and you know where they are uh, is invaluable. If you can go right to your garage and grab the tool that you need without tearing Digging through a hundred things <laughs> and saying, it was right here. Yeah. I swear. I don't know who does that, but. Lost tools. It's Lots the of worst. lost tools. Yeah. Screwdrivers, bit sets, stud finder. I mean, there's so many different tools. This has been a really, really good show. I hope you appreciated it. And uh, if you have any ideas, like if there's some tools that we missed and you can think of them right now, shoot us an email. Absolutely. Go to our website or go to our Facebook page and drop us a line. 
That's all the time we got, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of Your Weekend Warriors right here on the Weekend Warriors Radio Network. Have a great week.